If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. Basically, forsaking everything to obey God. And God, because he obeyed God, God is taking care of him. And God notices Elijah's not moving. Even though there's no more water, Elijah's like, I ain't moving from here because this is where God told me to go. So now God arranges step two. Verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying in verse 9, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. And you will see, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. He already made provision in Sidon for this widow woman in Zarephath to take care of Elijah. How would he do that? She's not even a Jew. She's a Gentile. Why would God do that? She was praying. She's she's being affected by the famine as well. She's having problems as well. One, she's a widow. Two, she has a son, a young son. Nobody is taking care of her. It's on her to provide for her and her son. And now all of the resources are gone. But yet she, probably in prayer, called out to the Jewish God and said, if you will take care of me, I'll serve you. And God spoke to her heart and said, I'm sending you Elijah the prophet. She knew who Elijah was. They'd heard the, the, the king is looking for this guy named Elijah. If you see him, report him to the authorities because the king wants him. He's a wanted man. King Ahab placed a bounty on his head, you could say. But God spoke to her and told her, I'm sending you Elijah. She knew who Elijah was. God said, take care of the prophet, and I'll take care of you. She had that covenant with God now. 
God says, you take care of this prophet, I will take care of you. Praise God. Elijah gets up and goes, it's a long walk. It's about a three-day walk that he had to go on through the desert. He's seen the effect. Remember, he's been hiding in the woods by the brook. He has now seen the desolate land, no crops at all. He's seen people dying by the wayside. There's probably bodies laying on the way out in the desert. Because there's no rain, no water. He's seen people mourning over graves of their young children and their wives and their husbands because there's no water. And he knows this is happening because of me. God, you said for me to say this, but look at the people suffering. It had to be a hard walk for him. For those couple of days as he's going to Zarephath. As he gets to the outlying gates of the city. He sees a widow woman there. <laughs> Verse 10. Look at this. So he arose went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city. Indeed. A widow woman was there. There's that word again. She was there gathering sticks. She, instead of just giving up, sitting down, ready to die, she was doing what she could with what she had. She knew she only had a little bit of food left. She knew that she had heard from the Jewish God that said, I'm sending you Elijah. You take care of him and I'll take care of you. So she was out there gathering sticks, preparing to cook a meal. <laughs> and Elijah walks up. I'm sure she said, now this looks like that guy Elijah the king's looking for. And Elijah just walks up. He says, you the widow woman? He says, you the prophet? Yep. You're supposed to take care of me? Please bring me a little water and a cup so I can have a drink. Elijah is walking up to her and says, God has commanded you to take care of my needs. So we're going to start simple. Give me a drink of water. And as she was going to get the water, notice she didn't complain like, water? Are you kidding me? You know how expensive water is right now? No, she didn't complain at all. She went to get him a drink of water in obedience to what God had commanded her to do. Take care of the prophet, I'll take care of you. So she goes to get him a drink of water. And then he says, oh, by the way, bring me something to eat. Bring me some bread in your hand. Now, a lot of people look at this next response as a complaint. Like, And I studied it this way also before. They're looking at this as a complaint by the woman to the prophet that says, I don't have nothing to give you. Leave me alone. No, that's not what it meant. She said, verse 12, 
as the Lord Jehovah Yahweh, your God, lives. I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And look, I was out gathering a couple of sticks so I can go and prepare it for myself and my son. Once that's gone, that's it. We're going to die. She's not complaining. She's explaining. Does that make sense? She's not saying, your God is killing me. No, she said, look, I don't have any bread. This is all I have. I was out here gathering sticks because this was the last meal I'm able to prepare. After this, you know, the, in the natural, we're done. It's all over. And Elijah said to her, don't fear. Go and do just as you said. In other words, go, go ahead and, and prepare the, the uh, handful of flour and a little oil. Go ahead and make your cake. But bring me a small cake from it first. He's reminding her, take care of the prophet. God will take care of you. That's the contract. That's the covenant she has with the Lord Jehovah Yahweh, God of Israel. You take care of the prophet, I'll take care of you. Elijah's just reminding her. He's not demanding, you give to me the food. No, he's not saying that. He said, go and do as you've said. Go and make that little cake, but bring me a small cake from what you have. Just a little bit. Just bring it to me first. And afterward, go ahead and make some for yourself and your son. And he reminds her, verse 14, For thus says the Lord Jehovah Yahweh God of Israel, The bin of flour that you have will not be used up. Nor shall the jar of oil you have run dry until the day that the Lord Jehovah Yahweh sends rain upon the earth. Now, she knows who Elijah is. She knows she prayed to the God of Israel. She knows she is in covenant with God. God said, take care of the prophet. I'll take care of you. Prophet shows up. She's going about her normal business of trying to provide for her son. The prophet shows up. Says, give me a drink of water. She does. Prophet says, bring me some bread. She says, I don't have any bread. I just got a little bit of flour and some oil. I'm just going to make a little cake. After that, it's done. I have nothing else to give you. And the prophet says, give me a small portion of the cake first. Bring it to me. And God says that if you do that, the flour will not go, you'll not run out and the jar of oil will not run dry. Now it happened after these things. In other words, she did it. She did what God said, what a prophet told her to do. And she must have been amazed. She made that cake. It doesn't say that she had in a super abundance of oil. She didn't become an oil tycoon selling stuff like that. She didn't have massive amounts of flour that she could open a store and a bakery. But every morning... She lifted the lid on the jars. There's flour and oil for another day. She didn't say, how does God do that? She didn't say that. She's like, praise God, the God of Israel, who is taking care of me because I'm taking care of his prophet. And she didn't turn Elijah in. 
Oh, there's probably some talk in the town about this preacher living with this old widow woman. I can just hear it. If CNN existed in that day, they'd be all over. You think Elijah is a prophet from God? Why is he shacking up with a widow woman? Doesn't he know that's against the law? Doesn't he know that that's against all God stands for? He's shacking up with a woman that's not his wife. That's what the liberals would be saying today. Instead, he just stays there. It doesn't say that he was preaching. It doesn't say he was doing anything but living with this woman. Probably helping around the house, fixing up some things. In verse 17, Now it happened, after these things, that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious, there was no breath left in him. He died. He died. Now before we go on, let's just recap a little bit. Remember, out of all of the Old Testament prophets... Not one is mentioned more or is held in higher esteem in the New Testament than the prophet Elijah. Elijah's ministry was so significant for a whole lot of a whole variety of reasons. And his experiences that he went through can reflect upon us today and give us hope today. This man was so highly regarded by God that he never seen death. He was translated from earth to heaven in a fiery chariot. It's important to note that this chariot was only visible to Elisha. The sons of the prophets and those watching just seen the wind. Elisha saw into the spirit world when Elijah was taken up. In fact, according to scriptures, no other human being has ever exited this earth in such a glorious fashion. The only one that the only other person who never seen death now the name escapes me. Glory to God. In the Old Testament. Praise God. Anyway. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Anyhow, him and Elijah were the only ones translated. Praise God. Matter of fact, Elijah, the name Elijah in Hebrew means my God is Yahweh. How appropriate. <laughs> How appropriate his parents named him Elijah, my God is Yahweh. His assignment as Israel's prophet was to turn the hearts of his nation back to God, Yahweh. And as we learn, as we continue through this study, it was not going to be an easy task. 
His fellow Israelites were so obsessed with foreign gods and getting stuff for themselves, they had all but forgotten the Lord their God. They just went through these ritualistic things of going to the temple and offering the sacrifices and praises and then going about their business. Kind of like what happens now in the United States. People just go to church on Sunday, uh, and that's down. It used to be 90% of the churches be full Sunday morning. Now it's like 20%. 25%. You drive by church parking lots, there's available parking in most of them. Usually a lot. God blessed Elijah because he was doing what he told him to do. Now we'll probably be going through three, four, five parts of this series. We're, we're just following the leads of the Holy Spirit right now. And as the Holy Spirit leads, we're going to let God lead us as well. That's why I like about doing studies like this. Praise God. You know, we let God lead and reveal things to us through his scriptures. Amen. And we stop when he says, okay, you're done. Amen. This week, as we, oh, wow, look at that. I'm looking at time. It just goes by so fast. This week, we're going to examine in detail the death-defying, life-promoting ministry of Elijah. Amen. And today is just the overview. <laughs> we're going to get into a few more specifics along the way today, yes. But we're just laying the foundation of today. Today, we're just laying the foundation of the study. Glory to God. And by doing so, it's, it's my prayer that we too, we will receive a portion of the same spirit that enabled Elijah to overcome seemingly insurmountable odds and still find hope and peace, even in the midst of turmoil and despair. You so, you know, the year that Elijah appeared to King Ahab has been calculated to be 874 BC. Now, in this day and time, of 874 B.C., the nation of Israel had been divided by this time into two different kingdoms, the northern kingdom, which retained the name of Israel, the southern king, which was called Judah. And neither kingdom had too much to be proud of since the division, but Israel, the northern kingdom, in part, was particularly wasting no time in forgetting about their God, running from God as fast as they could. They did not, as a people, honor the God who delivered them from Egypt. They no longer looked up to the living God who brought them into the promised land that they were now living in. The northern kingdom had seven previous kings, all of which, the Bible says, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they all led the people deeper and deeper into idolatry and apostasy and sin. In 1 Kings 17, when Elijah is called to report for duty, the nation of Israel is in its most wicked spiritual state it has ever been. And I can relate this to the United States of America today. Today, this nation that we live in is in its worst spiritual state since the pilgrims came over in 1640-some. Amen. This nation has run as far and as fast as they could from God under the leadership of the government leaders we have in Congress and the President's office right now. 
Our leadership in this nation has led this nation astray. They've passed immoral laws that God says an abomination to them. They upheld abortion. They now have gay uh, marriages. And, and you can't say things against gays in the LGBT community. Or you get labeled as a racist and a hate monger. And that's just a couple off the top of my head. Just like in Elijah's day. The state of the nation is a result of the most wicked king ever. In Elijah's day, it was King Ahab. Today, it's President Obama. But it's just it's not all Obama's fault. A lot of people blame Obama for everything. But no, this has been going on in the United States for the last 50 years. And if the Holy Spirit leads, we'll get into that. If you turn... To 1 Kings, just flip back one chapter to chapter 16, verses 29 to 33. Verse 29 says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those kings before him. We can say the same thing about our presidential leadership team right now. And look at what they want to offer up as the next president. The most corrupt, most investigated, most fined president and wife in history, the Clintons. The most corrupt, I mean, it is, there's 25 plus corruption investigated. They've paid fines for for obstruction of justice and, and lying to Congress and lying to investigators. But yet, nobody cares. Nobody cares. That's how corrupt this nation has become. Just like in Elijah's day. Verse 31, He not only considered it trivial to commit sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sionians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Now, where did God send Elijah to go? Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. So here, King uh, Ethbal of the Sionians is now friends and in cohort, in partnership with King Ahab. And they began to serve Baal and worship him. And he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. That was a pole dedicated to fertility gods and all that. And he did more to provoke the Lord Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings had done before him. Does that sound familiar today? You have a president who refuses to allow Christianity or Christian morals to be talked about. Instead, he promotes immorality, abominations as being normal. This is what we need to cling to. This is what we need to do. And he's done more for the destruction of this nation than any king before him. We are talking about 
the United States being exactly in the same position today as Israel was in King Ahab's day. And there's little doubt that Elijah was well aware of the wickedness of Ahab, <laughs> as we are today about our leadership. The control that the king's idol-worshipping wife exerted over him was enormous. Elijah must have known about Jezebel's plan to permanently replace the God of Israel, just as we know that the presidential plans today is to replace the Christian God with the Muslim God Allah. In fact, this was obvious to almost everyone because they were persecuting the prophets of God. That pro they, they'd already begun killing anyone who stood up for God, the God of Israel. They were hunting down and killing them or putting them in prison. They were doing all they could to make sure nobody served the God of Israel, just as the leadership in this nation today is doing all it can do to make sure this nation fulfills what President Obama said, that the United States is not a Christian nation anymore. It would only be a matter of time, is what they said, until the people would essentially forget about Yahweh and wholeheartedly accept Baal as their God. That's the plan in the United States. Eventually, they'll forget about the Christian God and accept this inclusiveness lifestyle that everybody has a right to do whatever they want. There is no wrong, unless you're a Christian, because then you're intolerant. And finally, Elijah, God had had enough, and he said, Elijah, he gave him a command to deliver the ultimatum to the king. This judgment that Elijah was pronouncing on the king, on the, or I should say on the kingdom of Israel, as we read in 1 Kings 17.1, should not have come as a surprise to Ahab or any of the Israelites, because God had given them fair warning long before. In fact, before they even came into the promised land, they made a covenant with God who was leading him. And part of that covenant said in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 16 and 17, be careful or you'll be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. He'll shut off the heavens so it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good of the land that the Lord has given you. I mean, there was the prophecy right there. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. By worshiping Baal now as their God, the Israelites were not only ignoring the specific warning, they were blatantly breaking the first two of the Ten Commandments. You'll have no other gods before me, and you will not make images for yourself. Because they were forsaking totally the Lord their God, they would soon receive upon the land the promise that God gave to them, the penalty for their transgressions. We're beginning to see that in the United States today. Now, this drought that would cause a very severe famine in the land was not God trying to annihilate his wayward children. No, the famine was to serve two purposes. As we already mentioned, it was due punishment for the worship of false gods. Yet it was a very ingenuous slap in the face to Baal. It served to discredit the false god and prove, him, prove to everyone that Baal had no power at all. 
You see, Baal was not only the god of fertility, supposedly he was the god of the elements. Sun, rain, produce as well. He was credited by Jezebel and all of his flowers for bringing the rains in their season and causing the crops to germinate and grow, providing food for the people. They gave all of that credit to Baal. So God's judgment of withholding this life-giving rain, though it was harsh, was also merciful. God sought to teach the people that there was simply no other God but Him. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.